There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know what? I, I, I just feel bad because, like, surely half of them just died of cringe. <laughs> Fuck you, fuckers. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between. You Martians, you space aliens, you deep sea creatures. Welcome to GOATS, the greatest podcast of all time. We always get there in the end. We never fail. We will be victorious and we will be champions. And someone this week is going to be a champion as well. This week is going to get a little bit scary. We're going to be crowning the biggest, the baddest, and the meanest movie monster of all time. Now, unfortunately, not enough of you signed up to the Patreon. So we don't quite have enough of a budget to just chuck them all into a big death arena, make them fight and crown a victor. We've just got to talk about it instead. I'm sorry. Patreon, link in the description, okay? Then it will happen. Not good enough. Not good enough. Exactly. But this week, as always, I'm joined by two of the biggest monsters that I know. One of them is a monster dickhead. And the other one has got a monster dick. Debate among yourselves. It's Finny and Seb. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you both doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How you doing, Seb? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Bit of a weird week. Bit yeah. of a weird week. Can't wait to hear this. Really? Like, a brand new story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> this is going to shock you. Is it? I'm telling you, this, this is going to be mind-blowing. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> The abridged version. Yeah. Fuck yeah. In, just in case that we haven't established, we, we've 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 tried this record a few times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is genuinely take four. Yeah. Of of tonight. <laughs> of tonight, and then we also botched a record last week. So yeah. welcome to the jungle. But anyway, Sam, what happened to you? <laughs> so I was driving down the road after I dropped you back after a night out, and I uh, I I saw something flying quite quite menacingly out of my car window and i thought jesus does my monster cock go out again holy moly but it wasn't it was just a car accident uh so i breathed a sigh of relief and i carried on driving but i didn't read it i pulled over jumped out ran over said you can't park there laughter ensued (laughs) i bravely pulled pulled him out the windscreen slapped him about and said get your shit together son the world ain't easy for punks like you. <laughs> and he, and and he, he pissed himself. And he stopped doing drugs and he he became a doctor, didn't he? He cleaned up his he act did. and that was it. Yep. I got a text this morning that said, without you, I would never have had kids. <laughs> so soon. So quick. <laughs> but, but no, for real. Yeah, I saw a minor car. It wasn't a minor car. I saw a guy roll his car trying to avoid a fucking badger or something. I pulled over to make sure he was all right. The police came. Uh, they gave me a medal of honour, tossed me off, and uh, let me carry on. As I tried to say last time before Michael froze, I'd actually say the most shocking bit was after the car obviously came to a stop. As everyone's favourite working class hero, Jeremy Jezza Clarkson once said, speed hasn't killed anyone. Abruptly coming to a stop is what gets you. Yeah, that's quite true, And actually. to be fair, 
what happened is when the car came to an abrupt stop, all the belongings and shit inside the car didn't and all flew out the driver's side window and passenger's window. Oh, right. And I was shocked by how far... Like, there was a bottle of Pepsi that I would say was a good 200 metres up the road. Anything interesting, though? Any, like, dildos or anal beads or... What's the weirdest thing this fella had in his car? I mean, I took most of them for my own collection. (laughs) But, yeah, no. He was limping, but I think that might have just been the accident and Mm. nothing up his bum. Well, the scariest part of that story is that I got a video. I I, I received a video on WhatsApp about one o'clock in the morning. Just of Seb going, just panning across an empty road. He's obviously stood in the middle of the road saying, you can't park there, mate. And it's a fucking car upside down. I was thinking, oh, my God. Seb's either been in a car accident as he's taken it like an absolute champ or he's caused the car accident. So I messaged him as soon as I woke up saying, oh, you all right? Obviously, he's lazy, so he didn't get up to about midday. I had about five hours of panic thinking, fucking hell, Seb's dead. But no, turns out he was fine. If I had died, I probably wouldn't have sent you a zany WhatsApp message. Well, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, he's got to be fine because he's made a joke out of it. And if he had, like, one leg missing, he'd probably be a bit more cross, you know? (laughs) But then it is the sort of thing I'd do, isn't it? Send a little zany message on the way out. And that was the other problem, is I was like, if he has been in this car accident, he's going to try and, like, take it on the chin really well. So just send me, like, a little funny clip, yeah. But, um, no, it wasn't me. It was just some bloke. I didn't even get his name, to be honest with you. All I know is it was his first car, and he was on his way back to Basingstoke from Cornwall. Wow. And, yeah, the police were pretty chill about it. They said, you know, you can go, sign a couple autographs, we'll let you go. Yeah. And, um, and I did. I, I heard you signed one of their tasers. I did sign one of their tasers, and mm. uh, I signed one of their cocks as well. <laughs> yeah, nice. Got back, came through the door. My loving partner was asleep. She looked up at me. She said, God, it's a bit late. Is everything all right? And I said, just seen a really bad car accident. She went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that, Nothing to report. Nothing to report. I swear every week it's just that it's it's something like automotive related. You've either fallen off your motorbike, been pulled over, or seen a car flip into a, you know, do do a double backflip on the road. It's quite You live quite he a does. wild and adventurous yeah, life. He does. Yeah, I guess I do, to be fair. I'm a... It's a fucking maverick, like seriously. The most exciting thing that's happened to me this week is the Stella Artois that I'm drinking is a little bit flat. <laughs> Dude, that sucks. <laughs> That's about as far as my life goes. So, as we established this week, we are going to be crowning the greatest movie monster of all time. These two absolute wrongums are going to help me decide. I want to know which monsters in Hollywood are the baddest, the most terrifying, the most absolutely vicious motherfuckers out there. So, without further ado, Vinny, I actually want you to start this episode. I'm I'm picking you because you like me, you're a massive nerd. Just the same as I am. Especially when it comes to the topic of uh film and in particular horror and monster movies. We're just massive nerds for that shit. I can't deny it. Exactly. You know. I like to think I'm a pretty cool dude, but sometimes you just just have to admit nope. you're a fucking massive nerd. So you thought wrong. So let's do it. I, I want to hear you first because I'm more intrigued about yours. I mean, I am intrigued about Seb's because I know he's very into his film. And I think he's studied film and stuff like that. But I'm not sure about his monster knowledge. I want to leave Seb's pick as a little bit of a surprise. So Vinny, please, who have you picked as the greatest movie monster of all time? Well, I'm not going to tell you straight away. I'm going to give some context and some history before telling you my pick so without further ado i'm gonna take you back to early cinema i mean early 20th century cinema and it was a totally different beast to what we have today and the horror genre is much the same novels such as bram stoker's dracula or mary shelley's frankenstein had terrified readers in the 19th century So when early filmmakers are looking to thrill audiences with spooky frights, they turn to such novels for inspiration. These popular horror novels first saw their movie adaptations in the silent era of film, before Universal created their now iconic lineup of classic monsters. 
when talkies came about in the late 20s, early 30s. But it seems like the movie industry had very little creativity and would pump out remakes and sequels one after the other like it was nobody's business. And a certain quote comes to mind. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Because haven't we heard that in recent cinema? Son of Dracula, son of Frankenstein. Son of a bitch. Just for context, I counted about 16 different unique Dracula adaptation films from 1920 to 1950. Jesus. That's over a Dracula film every two years. And that's let alone the whole other host of classic movie monsters that had their endless sequels and remakes. Like, you know, The Wolfman, The Mummy, Frankenstein's Monster, to name a few. But the real-life horrors of the Second World War brought far scarier things to the public's attention than a decrepit living dead person wrapped in toilet paper very slowly walking towards you with its arms hanging out. Horrors such as mass murders, starvation, eugenics, bombing raids, and especially the world's very first weapon of mass destruction, the atomic bomb. The once petrified monster flicks of the 1930s couldn't hold a candle to what was happening in real life, especially in Europe. So the movie industry had to adapt with the times. And in the 1950s, the movie industry birthed a new type of monster. I just got it. The atomic monster. I just got it. I know. I know. Who you gonna pick? Let's go. Let's go, boy. So usually these atomic monsters were basically these just standard creatures you'd find in everyday life, like a spider or an ant. But with the power of science fiction and some good old-fashioned nuclear radiation, these everyday creatures transformed the towering giants that smashed into buildings and stepped on people like they were in fact the bugs. And although this new nuclear power fear was huge in the USA, no other country in the world feared it more so than the country that had faced the devastating effects of a nuclear explosion firsthand. That country obviously being Japan. (laughs) Now the Japanese have a word for this type of super giant monster and they call it kaiju. And in 1954, one of, if not the first kaiju film, premiered to the terror of Japanese moviegoers. Gojira. Or as we know it in the West, Godzilla. Yeah, boy! Fucking Godzilla, son! Yes. Do you know what Godzilla stands for? Fella in a rubber suit. According to what I read, Godzilla means god lizard. Or like, lizard god of the lizards. Yeah, I think that's true. Is that true, Vinny? Yeah, I don't see why I wouldn't. I, I kind of assumed it. that's what it meant. God is like a grand thing. It's like a huge thing. And then Zilla, like a lizard. And he's a big motherfucker. It's funny because a lot of people think that like America invented the term Godzilla, but it was actually invented by the people who made Godzilla in the first place, the Japanese people. When they shipped it out to the US, they coined it Godzilla. Mm. The Japanese word for it, Gojira, is actually two Japanese words put together. The Japanese word for gorilla and whale, which is a far cry from... What he actually is. You know, giant lizard. Yeah, god lizard. <laughs> god lizard. So Godzilla, or Gojira, is like a portmanteau. So like, if we said gorilla whale, and we called it a gale, that's how they say Gojira. So it's like two words stuck together, like a portmanteau. I don't know if that's what you already said, but that's what it is. I'm so excited, Vinny, that you've picked Godzilla. I can't fucking wait to talk about Godzilla. Like, I fucking love Godzilla, man. (laughs) I love Godzilla. I feel like he's so big in pop culture. Like, obviously, everybody knows who Godzilla is. But I would hazard that a very high percentage of the people who know who Godzilla is like they don't actually know any of the movies he's been in or seen any of them maybe apart from that one that we shall not name but i bet they've never seen a proper toho godzilla film probably not i'm excited to talk about godzilla as well so yeah godzilla 1954 this would be the first godzilla film in the extremely long-running series it's still running today and it spans 32 feature-length films and another four feature-length films that were made in America. And this basically makes Godzilla the longest-running film series of all time. I I actually used that to uh, school my uh, media studies teacher in college. She was banging on about how, like, James Bond is the longest-running movie franchise of all time and all this. And I was like, bitch! Ain't you never heard of the King of Monsters, Godzilla? And uh, I fully schooled her in front of the whole class and proved that Godzilla, in fact, was the longest-running movie franchise of all time. And did everyone clap? No, they all thought I was a fucking loser. (laughs) 
<laughs> By all accounts, the first Godzilla film titled Godzilla King of Monsters, because, you know, he is the King of Monsters. By all accounts, it was a horror film. All the shots of the kaiju were always from the perspective of the people, making him look even more terrifying and menacing. And the tone of this film was also extremely bleak and extremely dark, to say the least. All the parallels the film was making to the horrors that happened to Japan less than a decade prior are very on the nose, especially as Godzilla in the film is theorized to have been born from nuclear radiation. So... Essentially, Godzilla is just a big walking symbolism for nuclear bombs and the destruction they they carry with them. I think it's hard to comprehend when you talk about the devastation that happened when the bomb dropped on Hiroshima and obviously Nagasaki. You can't feasibly understand how many people that is and like the level of destruction that was to see an entire city just wiped to the floor. This is such a weird time to bring this up, but one of the best stories I've ever been told was about Japan. Basically, uh, I've got some family friends and the, the dad of the family, he was brought up in the Isles of Scilly and the Isles of Scilly, if you don't know, is like a small archipelago of islands at the bottom of Cornwall the most southerly part of the UK. It's very quaint, it's very quiet. Even in like the 40s, it was considered to be a much slower pace of life there. They didn't have cars on the island. It's like very, very quaint to the point of quaint and after the second world war a lot of the people who'd been prisoners of war or who'd had a hard war as they used to say back then would get sent to the Isles of Scilly and one of this guy's friends, his dad, had been in Japan and had been a prisoner of war in Japan and his friend would say, don't ever talk to my dad about the war. He doesn't like talking about it. He doesn't like talking about it. But he used to sit with this cigarette tin of knots and he had stacks and stacks of these cigarette tins full of knots. And one day the dad of my family friends went in and, and his friend wasn't there. And he, he decided to just ask him, like, what's the deal with all these knots? And he said, when we were in the concentration camp in Japan, all they could do to tell the days going past was they would tie little knots in string they pulled off the fences and they would hide it in cigarette tins or in their socks and stuff. And then at the end of the week or whatever, they'd all pull out them and, and put them in boxes and they could say like one box has a hundred days in it. And they could tell how many days had gone past by looking at the boxes of cigarette tins they filled with knots. It was like the only way they could watch the months go by. And then he got talking to him and, and he asked him how he'd escaped because notoriously it was quite difficult to escape the Japanese prisoner of war camps. And even when the war ended, a lot was done to kind of make sure that those people didn't get home by the Japanese prison guards. A lot of them were killed and stuff like that. So anyway, he asked him how he got home and he was saying his job as a prisoner of war was to basically progress the Japanese infrastructure. So Japan had this like very big idea of where they were going to be when the war ended. They thought they were going to be a kind of superpower. So in the same way that China and stuff builds roads that are 10 times bigger than they need to be now so that they're ready for 100 years time, they did a similar thing and they would dig these trenches for like water and latrine piping to go through. And they would dig them basically by hand with just like a little trowel and they would dig and dig and dig and dig. And then at the end of the day or the end of the week or whatever, they would be lined up on the trench and they would look into it and an officer would come and they weren't allowed to look the officer in the eye and he would inspect the trench. And if it was good enough, they could go back to the camp. And if it wasn't good enough, if they were lucky, they'd be asked to keep digging. If they're unlucky, they'd be shot and pushed into the trench. I don't know if you know this, but the officers in the Japanese army at the time, it was all very connected to like samurai culture. So they had these big samurai swords they used to carry. There was a lot of like religion and prestige tradition wrapped up in these swords so you you if you weren't allowed to look at an officer you definitely weren't allowed to look at their sword and they would often kill people with their swords and stuff like that like they were no joke so one day they've dug this big latrine trench and they're all lined up on the edge and the officer comes to look in the trench and he leans over to look in the trench and as he leans over the sword falls out of his holster or scabbard or whatever you call it and it falls all the way down into this latrine trench and lads in the mud. So this thing's covered in mud, and they're all fucking, he's like shitting himself, because like they've seen this huge dishonor. And so this guy, the, the, the friend's dad, throws himself into the trench, just head first, and he shoves his hands in the dirt so that he's not touching the sword, so that the mud is touching the sword, and he holds it up above his head and, and doesn't look at it, and he presents it back to the officer. And as he's presenting it, there's this huge flash and he realises that the light is so bright he can see the bones in his arms and he covers his eyes and when he looks back up, everyone's gone. 
and he climbs out the trench and everyone's just dust. And what had happened is as, as he jumped into the pit, the bomb in, in Hiroshima had gone off and just leveled everyone above him. And basically the shockwave had just gone like over the top of him as he was down in the trench. And when he climbed out, like everyone was just dead. And that's how he survived. Oh, fucking hell. I really want to fact check that. That doesn't sound correct. I'm just, that sounds beyond insane. Yeah, I mean, that's what he said. So if you watch old videos of bomb testing, because I thought it was pretty inconceivable as well. If you watch old videos of bomb testing, you can see videos of big trenches that have been dug in the blast radius. And they put guys in it to see what would happen. And it, and it does go over the top of you. It basically like funnels the blast over the top of you, which is why they always say like, if a nuclear bomb's coming, you should try and get into like a basement. Because if you imagine the ground is really fucking thick. So if there's like even a hundred meters of ground flat in between you and the explosion that's a lot of depth to take out impacts and radiation it will just go over the top of you whereas obviously the air is super thin so it'll just go straight through you that is insane yeah it's fucking mental it's the best story i've ever been told nothing's ever topped that fuck anyway so yeah fuck (laughs) that's an insane story holy shit sorry i didn't yeah it's a great story and now let's all forget about it so fun fact with Godzilla to get back on Godzilla the first film it took place in Tokyo and the set designers made a perfect recreation of the capital city at 125th of the size which is pretty crazy and I remember seeing like a set designer saying like every time he made like a model he was always really anxious about it because he knew that if he accidentally destroyed it like that model was worth more than his yearly salary (laughs) Jesus, it's crazy shit So this meant that real buildings in Tokyo were used in the movie, and this included the old Nichigeki Theater, which actually premiered the first Godzilla film. And in the movie, when Godzilla destroys the theater, it's been said that several viewers who were watching the film premiere in that very movie theater actually ran out of the building out of fear. (laughs) No, no, they didn't. (laughs) This is what it says. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no honestly like if you if you think about it like remember the old uh war of the world's radio oh, show yeah, yeah, yeah. and how like yeah, people, everyone yeah, thought it was yeah. a real thing that aliens are actually yeah. like taking us over it's, it's you know this the sort of stuff was like still pretty brand new for a lot of people so it was like it was pretty hard to understand this film was actually a gamble to make as nobody had made a film quite like this before and it ended up costing the production company Toho around 100 million yen to make, which would have made it in the top three most expensive Japanese films at that point. And in fact, Toho actually made the other two most expensive Damn. Japanese films that year. So it was all Toho, I think, in the film industry in Japan at that point. That's mad. But the gamble, it paid off. As even though it had mixed reviews by critics upon release, around 11% of the entirety of the population of Japan saw the film in the theatre. That's pretty crazy. Fuck it. That's like one in nine people. Jesus. One of the funniest things for me is when you look back at like the critical reception tab on any films like Wikipedia page and it'll be some iconic film. And most of the time it'll be like critics widely agreed that when this was released, it was the greatest film ever made. But occasionally you'll watch one that's like The Big Lebowski or something and you'll go on it and be like, critics thought it was fucking terrible. They all slated it. And then everyone thought it was great. It's basically like considered nowadays that it's it's it was just ahead of its time and Japanese critics like now view it as just like a massive classic and like one of the best pieces in Japanese movie history and it's even been named in like the top 30 Japanese films of all time so I think that speaks volumes especially because it's a horror film and horror films don't normally get a lot of praise other than maybe The Exorcist and that was about it. Oh yeah, they don't really do they. What about what about Godzilla himself though? That's the film I've been beating around the bush for too long. I need to now talk about the big man himself. I want to talk about the king of monsters himself, Gojira. So although as the film series progressed, Godzilla's size would actually increase in pretty much every film. He would increase a little bit, like a few feet. He was still about 160 feet in the first film. Which is about like this big. Like that's yeah. really big. You got it right. That, that you've... <laughs> That's yeah. about 160 feet, yeah. right? <laughs> He's a big boy. He is a big boy. Not only is he a fucking beast, but he could shoot fire out of his fucking mouth. Atomic breath, if you will. I get that after an Indian. 
Also, he was basically just indestructible. Every film, there was always a part in the film of every single one of them where, like, the entire Japanese military would get involved with tanks, with airships, with the infantry, yeah. fucking, like, even science fiction shit like electric ray guns. And they would just throw everything at the dude and he wouldn't even flinch <laughs> like he he could take everything yeah. on his fucking chin it was fantastic and every time you're like you, you could see the tanks rolling up and you're like god for fuck's sake this is like the 15th godzilla film it ain't gonna do shit like they never learn they're just they're just constantly like bring out the b-52 bomber it's like dude the bombs don't touch him you need another giant monster to fight him you can't fight him with bombs and tanks and bullets but yeah so nothing could stop them and also the sound effects of godzilla were nothing short of just bone chilling his footsteps were actually made from beating a kettle drum with a knotted rope and his iconic roar was actually made from rubbing a leather glove up and down the strings of a double bass, funnily enough. Can you can you do the roar? Rawr! <laughs> <laughs> Seb, Seb, it didn't pick you up for some reason then. Do it, try it again. Oh my god, Seb, that was that was that was really good actually. What the fuck? That was really good. How long have you been practicing that? Yes. Yes. God damn. Wow. Seb, Jesus, that is pro- that's the, that's official, man. Is that a double bass in the background with gloves? Oh, <laughs> mate, you fuck you, mate. Yeah, oh, mate. <laughs> I'm a tricky motherfucker like that. I've always got my double bass and my leather glove. <laughs> so we all know by now that Godzilla's also he's always been played by a, a fella in a big rubber suit, right? Yep. Well, wrong, because in the first film, it wasn't really the case. In fact, due to a shortage of latex in Japan at the time, Godzilla's first costume was actually made of a concrete mix, and it weighed in at over 100 kilograms. Damn, dude. Where was all the latex? Don't make a condom joke. No, no, I was going to say it was making your mum's dildo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the same. Well, fair enough, you got me there. Oh, nice. This basically made the suit like literally impossible to move around because how the fuck do you move around 100 kilograms of concrete and like at all? So at that point, they actually cut the suit in half. And for the first suit, they actually they only used the bottom half for like the feet and stuff. And they made a second costume, this time using a liquid plastic polymer that actually still weighed in about 90 kilograms, although the actor could just about move around in it. And I guess it kind of worked to its effect because you don't want a super mobile big fuck off lizard moving around you want him to be a little bit like sturdy and yeah well that's the thing is like godzilla's famous like how he moves like bumbling around knocking into shit like not moving super fast like it was a product of the situation wasn't it like they didn't necessarily write that for godzilla like they didn't really think about it yeah it just so happened that like the fella could barely fucking move in the costume, and that's just how Godzilla ended up walking. Yeah, and not only could he not really walk properly in the suit, but at several times, especially because they were recording in the summer, the inside the suit would get up to about 60 degrees Celsius, and the actor would literally just pass out in between takes all the time. Damn, what a fucking warrior. Yeah, and he kept on being the actor, I think up until they stopped using suits for Godzilla. Like he was, I'm pretty sure he stayed the actor the whole time. Really? Really? Yeah, up until they started using CG for Godzilla. That was in like the 90s, so that's yeah. like fucking 40 years nearly. By the end, they're just poking in this like 70-year-old man into the suit. Yeah. <gasps> Godzilla's got like a walking cane. He's, maybe he's in a wheelchair, like one of those mobility scooters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of the monsters. <laughs> I sound like David Bowie. <laughs> As the Godzilla films carried on, they became less horror-centric and more sort of action-packed, really, as Godzilla would focus his attention on fighting other giant monsters like Mothra or King Ghidorah rather than just trampling through Tokyo for the 10,000th time. Yeah. Even at some points became a protector of the Japanese people and an environmentalist. <laughs> At one point as well, because he fought like this big sludge monster in a, in an effort to stop pollution or <laughs> something. It was really yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, he turned he turned from like this big fucking beast who just smashed the shit out of Tokyo to like the two Japanese kids fucking love him. Like, yeah, isn't there a film where one of them's like 
no, they don't ride on his back or something, but like he like calls them from space or something, something like that. Some, yeah, some he, mad shit. I think he talks to the kids, and the kids will cheer like Godzilla, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's got magical telekinesis. Yes, talk. Yeah, Godzilla's just going like, and the kids are like, oh Godzilla, you're so right. Boris Johnson should resign. Oh, we love you. It's very this... political. This cast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he just becomes, like, friends with all the Japanese people. So, at this point in the 70s, Godzilla was just a fucking giant meme. Like, there's literally a Godzilla film <laughs> yeah. where he has a son, and he's, like, this little, like, turtle creature thing that's, like, <laughs> yeah, Mama, like, Tata! Like, it can talk. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he can talk. The, the kids can talk English, but Godzilla's just still going, bah! Yeah. Bah! <laughs> But the kid's like, Daddy! <laughs> so does the, kid, does the kid act as like a translator? He just can talk English. It's not really explained. He stays on this little island and like fighting mini King Kongs and shit and like... Yeah. Pulling up like trees and like smashing them and stuff. Godzilla shows him how to trample over Tokyo. <laughs> like he's like teaching him <laughs> <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> it's this one bit where the kid's doing something stupid and Godzilla just comes around and fucking smacks him. <laughs> He, like, gives him, like, a proper, like, clip round the ear to, like, the baby. <laughs> but it's, it's so weird, like, the baby can talk and stuff. I've got to say, uh, I don't know if this is the 70s or maybe it was the 60s, but my favourite Godzilla moment is, I think it was the film where Jajit Jaguar, or whatever his name is, came in, and he's, like, a... Jet Jaguar. Yeah, he, he's a giant Godzilla-sized Power Ranger, essentially. And he's, like, holding this monster. Like, he's holding, him like, this monster's arms back. And then Godzilla, like, runs backwards. And then... <laughs> Fucking <laughs> does this like he literally levitates by his tail. He's like <laughs> he does this like flying drop kick and just goes like across the entire like half of the fucking continent <laughs> just on his tail. And he's so still the whole time. It looks so bad. But the worst yeah. thing is, I swear he goes back for his second one. He does it twice. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. like honestly, dude. Like words can't do it justice. He's like a unicycle and his tail's the wheel and he's just got his feet out and just plows into the guy. <laughs> like completely sideways and he's just fucking floating. Oh like, my Whoop. god. We'll find the clip. We'll, we'll put it on Instagram. It, it's so good, man. Like, this was the golden age of Godzilla for me. Like, all the campy, like, hilarious shit. <laughs> But yeah, in the 70s, at some point, I think they realized they'd gone a bit too far with, you know, Son of Godzilla and fighting the big sludge monster and whatnot. Yeah. And they took a hiatus, I think, for a few years, six, seven, eight years. And they came back in 1984 with essentially a reboot of the first Godzilla film. And this was called Return of Godzilla. And it properly returned the King of Monsters back to its rightful throne. And he was back to being this big, bad, menacing creature of just destruction and devastation and horror. And, you know, he went back to smashing up Tokyo and people trying to stop him and they just can't. And, yeah, you know, back to the good old days kind of thing. Back to the good shit. Yeah. Enough of the kid shit. Enough of the thumbs up. I don't know if we actually talked about the thumbs <laughs> we up. We didn't talk about the thumbs up. <laughs> so to go backwards, the kid's talking to Godzilla, isn't he? He's like, oh, thank you for saving the day. Godzilla just goes like a big thumbs up. He goes, ah! <laughs> he gives him a thumbs up. And he, it's like his face stays the same because it's just like a rubber-like costume. But it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. It's so good. So good. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So Godzilla's been both idolized and feared ever since his debut movie in 1954. And even the Americans had a go at making their own version of the famous monster in 1998's Godzilla. But this film was so laughable in its portrayal of the king, with him looking more like a deformed lizard than a mutant dinosaur. I mean, I think they downsized him to like a quarter or a fifth of his actual size. He was like, he looked terrible. Is it set in New York? I think it's set in New York, yeah. Yeah, he's not even bigger than the skyscrapers. Like his eye line is like level with like not even the top floor window. So he's like 50 feet feet or something he's like minuscule yeah he's tiny they really downsized him it's not godzilla it's a fucking disgrace man it was just a big lizard it's like a velociraptor but yeah like the the japanese films later on actually made reference to this american godzilla and they poked fun at him not calling him godzilla but calling him just zilla as if he's not just zilla, yeah he's yeah. just he's just lizards he's just a lizard yeah he ain't a god in fact in godzilla final wars there is a fight scene i think either between mecha godzilla or just regular godzilla and this american zilla and he has his shit absolutely fucking kicked in and it, it's so funny i think it's japan just basically saying like don't remake our film basically aren't they they're like if you're gonna do it do it right like don't do it like this because we'll just kick the shit out of you basically it's so good yeah they realize how shit their version of it was all in all it's been calculated through all the movies that godzilla's body count rakes in at over sixteen thousand people dead damn jason voorhees you need to step your game up because that is big sixteen thousand. yes but this figure is a little bit skewed as in godzilla final wars he explodes about ten thousand aliens i think called zillions <laughs> Oh, yeah. But I think it's still 6,000 people. Is, you know, and that's on-screen deaths, not like a building collapsing. I was going to say, there's got to be more than that because, like, he just stomps on hotels and yeah. stuff. And I'm pretty sure those cities aren't all completely evacuated at the times in the films. He just, like, stomps on things. So it's way more than that. But 6,000 actual, like, on-screen, on-screen deaths. deaths. Yeah. That's quite a lot. So how many? 30 films. It comes to about 167 people if you take out the 10,000 outlier per film. Really? Yeah. More than a minute because most of the old films aren't that long. Yeah. They're like 50 minutes, some of them. It's not too bad for a, a 70-year-old. <laughs> yeah, for a 70-year-old. He's 70 at this point, man. So that's my pick for Godzilla, and he is the king of monsters, and I hope you see that, Michael. Well, it's going to definitely take some beating because, like I said, Godzilla is just my... He's my man. He's my boy. Seb, it's over to you. You need to follow that up. Right. It was strong. I'm not going to lie. It was strong. And I too like Godzilla. I have to say, I've never watched any of the actual Toho films. I just know him as an iconic character. I do quite like the campiness of the clips that I've seen. And the concept of anything being scary when it's just a big man in a suit is always very funny. But obviously for me, this didn't take particularly long for me to work out. I am a big film person. And it was a weird one because obviously I normally say, oh, this took me ages, this took me ages. But this one hit me straight away. 
And the first one that came to mind was the idea of a monster not just being scary because of the way it looks or the way it sounds or the way it's portrayed, but the whole package. And for me, that was obvious. So I'll insert now, in or Vinny will insert in the edit. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. I'm shivering my boots. Oh, shit. Here he comes. Except the knots is coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, for those of you who've never heard that before, that is, of course, the Jaws soundtrack. Now, Jaws is a Steven Spielberg classic. Um, It came out in 1975. And one of the reasons I love this, and I do think it is a horror character, and that the shark in Jaws, he's not called Jaws. He is. Um, He doesn't actually have a name. The film is Jaws and the shark is just a shark. It's not. It's here comes Jaws, Jaws the shark. He's going to get you. (laughs) For goodness sake. Is that the tagline for the film? (laughs) Yeah. The shark is called Jaws. The film's called Jaws. Jaws the shark. Jaws is going to get you. (laughs) Simple. It's not. I hate to break it to you. I that uh, do you know what actually? This is mad because like when I was like thinking about the monsters and stuff, I I never thought of Jaws, but you're so right. Like he's definitely a movie monster. Well, that's the thing, and the reason that Jaws had such a big impact is actually weirdly the marketing strategy. So the marketing strategy for this was like a bit of a game changer. This was one of the first like big summer blockbusters, and it was hyped in a way with these like primetime TV spots that played that theme music with just a camera panning up at the legs of people paddling in the water and it was terrifying it really gripped the world with this like shark fever and i think that this sort of movie hype is something that big budget films have aimed for since but actually it's been really hard to recreate i think partly because we have become accustomed to like big movies being flops like they're super overhyped yeah i think the second matrix film and avatar i personally liked avatar but yes i you know for some people that was a bit of a flop but like for instance the only way that hype has been sort of redone recently is like with the marvel films and that took them like 10 films over 10 years or whatever to build that kind of excitement whereas this was just done for one film But obviously, we're not here to talk about marketing strategy. What I will say, we're here to talk about the goat movie monsters, aka the shark, not Jaws. He's just the shark, is what his name is. Or Bruce is his code name. But if you've never seen Jaws, I'd thoroughly recommend it. I think it really stands up and it stands up because Jaws is such a complete film and it creates such a complete monster. So just to give you a brief breakdown, the film goes like this. It's a popular tourist beach in America. A giant shark turns up and starts eating people. The mayor of the town refuses to shut the beach down because the town will lose too much money. And so a policeman, a scientist and a fisherman have to go out and catch the shark. That's it. That's the whole film. The first thing that makes this film so scary and the shark so scary is the music. This music was created by John Williams, who is like an iconic movie composer. If you guys don't know this, he did Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, E.T. Harry Potter? He did Harry Potter. He's one of the most prolific movie composers of all time. Maybe the most prolific, probably. I would say, yeah. Maybe him and Hans Zimmer, maybe. Hans Zimmer could suck my dick. (laughs) You love Hans Zimmer. I fucking hate Hans Zimmer. I'm sick of hearing Hans Zimmer's time of every fucking like motivational video ever made. Dude, that is a good song though. I'm so sick of it. It's a terrible song. But it's so motivational. It's not. It pisses me off. It just makes me demotivated. <laughs> if I was a world champion boxer, my last ever fight, I would walk out to that song, Vinny. I'd walk out to Jaws. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. I'd walk out to Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla, yeah. So, like, obviously what you'll notice about a lot of those is that they are composed soundtracks in a way that I think is kind of being lost, even in a lot of films that don't have pop culture soundtracks. Like, obviously, something like Guardians of the Galaxy, all the songs in that are pop culture songs. Right, yeah. But even films that don't have, like, soundtracks that have more of, like, a composed narrative sound board that runs through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of been lost a little bit. But what you'll notice about, like, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, those soundtracks are intrinsically linked to the way that you view the film. So, for instance, the moment when you see the big diplodocuses or brachiosauruses in Jurassic Park and you hear... That is... And there's that... 
that is like intrinsically part of the experience for you like it hits you in the chest like yeah it, it makes it so grand it helps you suspend your disbelief and so the soundtrack for jaws is instrumental in how scary it is the two go hand in hand he created the soundtrack john williams with just f and f sharp and basically these notes are designed to like slowly grind away at you and create this sense of dread and suspense but these two notes are like designed to jar you they're not used a lot in traditional music in the western sort of composition and they're designed to be jarring and so it kind of creates this feeling of like relentless inevitability, like you're just waiting for the shark. And it just starts with that iconic dun, and then nothing and then dun, and you just know mm. that somewhere out there in the water, this shark will find you. It doesn't have to rush. It's inevitable. And that inevitability is really scary. And it's the suspense that makes the shark so scary. The shark isn't that scary. The weight is scary. It's waiting for it to appear and attack. And that builds this like fear inside you. And that kind of all combines with the second reason that the shark is so scary, which is that for most of the film, you never really see it. You just hear the sound and then someone dies. The most scary things are in your imagination. When you see it, it stops becoming scary. It's why yeah. big campy horror films are so campy and in some cases funny. Think of like the Scream franchise. They're almost comedic. Well, they are, yeah, they are comedic. Yeah. They're supposed to be, yeah. They, exactly, because the fear is so overdone. You see the monster. It's not like a building suspense thing. And- I know what you mean. As soon as you see the creature, you're exposed to it. You're exposing yourself to your fears, which is what you'd always do. What you don't see will always be more scary than what you do see because your imagination could run wild exactly and obviously that works perfectly with the concept of the film which is that you can't see into the water you can't see into the ocean you can't see into the sea it's a big black void and that is scary whether you like it or not i find that scary and I, i i enjoy swimming in the sea but The concept of this big black void with something underneath me is fucking terrifying. Mm. But this was not necessarily the choice of Steven Spielberg. It was a choice that was forced onto him. And and this comes to this idea that is something that, for me, I find really important with anything creative, including this show, which is that like necessity is the mother of invention. In other words, it's the limitations that are set on your creative project that force you to innovate. And like something that is always referenced when you talk about this is the creator of Looney Tunes, Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones understood that animation like Looney Tunes is infinite. You can do anything. Yeah. And so in order for something to be funny, you have to create a set of rules within that universe that everything has to comply with because it's the way you bend those rules and work around them that creates comedy or that creates fear or that creates creativity. It forces you to innovate because When you're restricted, you have to work a way out of those restrictions and that forces you to naturally be creative. In the case of Jaws and Steven Spielberg, the limitations were that his budget and the technology at his disposal did not allow for the audience to see a truly scary shark. Yeah. No matter what he did, the shark was always going to look like ass. The CGI at the time was fucking dreadful and the giant three foam animatronic sharks they made looked also dreadful. They do look shit, yeah. They look bad. Like, you can Google them. They don't even look like sharks. They just look like big blobs of foam. It's a B-movie. It's a B-movie. And because of that, Spielberg had to think really creatively. And that is why you never see the shark. Because if he showed you the shark, it would look like ass. So he doesn't show it to you. Instead, he builds tension with the music and with what you're not shown. And that is why it's such an effective monster. You just see the music and people getting pulled under the water. And probably the scariest shot of the whole film that gets used over and over again is the camera going through the water and is staring at people's legs as they splash in the water. And it's that classic, really vulnerable shot of looking up at someone who's swimming we as humans aren't very good swimmers so water is naturally a source of slight fear and anxiety in us because we don't like compared to like a fish we don't swim that well it's not a natural environment so it's human nature to see those dangling legs and be like fuck what the fuck is in there that's really scary so the first act you don't see the shark you just see shots of people's legs you hear the music building and building and then eventually not even that much someone gets pulled under the water there's blood and then it moves on and that's fucking scary and then in the second act 
again really cleverly you see glimpses you just see like its silhouette going through the water you see its fin popping up and again it builds this tension but you don't ever see the shark you just know it's there you know someone's going to die and again it's accompanied by this building tension this building music and that is really frightening because the scariest bit is the fact that you can see the shark and you know that people are in danger but they somehow can't see it there's just a silhouette moving underneath them and that is really frightening as a viewer and then when you do finally see it in the climactic scene it's fucking scary because you've been built into this fear yeah that it doesn't matter that it looks dreadful because you're so built up and that is really frightening as a viewer because when you finally see it you're so shocked the fact the shark is actually there that it doesn't matter that it looks like a big giant foam fucking toy because it's fucking scary yeah and the third reason i really like the shark from jaws is that it preys on everyone's biggest weaknesses the biggest weakness the one that everyone goes for in their head is the fear of the unknown it's in the water and people are naturally we're all frightened of the water we're all frightened of what we can't see we're all frightened of the dark <sighs> i'm scared of shit homie you're scared of open doors that's that's autism not that's that's fear of the unknown it's the exact same thing it's fear of the unknown it's fear of what might come through the door like that. so the other thing that we are all scared of deep down and that a lot of people don't associate this film with but they should because it is a part of the film and it is deliberately written this way, is we're all afraid of our actions catching up with us. And we've all afraid that things that we think are okay are actually not okay and we will be punished for them. And that is just a hang up from the kind of super religious culture yeah christian hyper religious culture that yeah. we've all been brought up in even if you've been brought up an atheist we all fucking prayed in school we all did these things even in state schools that we consider to be quite moderate we do have this underlying feeling of guilt and of sin and the shark in jaws punishes those who sin and that is frightening the first victim that you see die is a teenage girl skinny dipping at night with a boy she's being sexual she's showing off her body she's having sex before marriage she jumps in the water for skinny dipping she's drunk and the shark punishes her and that is scary because we all fear that when we're our most vulnerable which is when we're doing something a bit naughty that we will be caught yeah imagine someone busting in in the middle of having sex or something that is scary well if i sum it up to like as scary as my fear of being cancelled yeah exactly we like we are terrified of being cancelled i don't care come at me (laughs) it's it's all i think about oh shit did i say this did i say that i'm definitely getting cancelled exactly that's i guess like the same thing exactly it's fucking scary so she's being sexual she's showing off her body And she gets punished. And that is scary for us because we've all been naked. We've all probably skinny dipped. We've all hooked up with someone at a party. And you worry that you're doing something wrong because we've all been told that realistically being happy is wrong. Yeah, pretty much. That is kind of what the church teaches you. It teaches you that if you have sex and if you get naked and you have a good time, fucking devil will come for you. Yeah. And he won't. He he won't. Listen, he He won't. won't. Don't worry, he'll be fine. But in the film, the shark will and he will punish And the second person who's punished throughout the film is the mayor. The mayor is greedy. He cares about the money, not about people's safety. And as a result of that, he is punished and the people of the town are punished. They're killed because they're showing greed. And this continues the whole way through the film. And like, if you don't believe me, just watch the end. This is a spoiler now. If you haven't seen Jaws, I'm about to spoil it. If you haven't seen Jaws, what are you doing? Like, When the boat goes out, there's three guys on the boat. Two of them want fame and glory and the other one just wants to protect his family. Guess who dies and who lives? The two people who want fame are eaten by a big scary shark and the guy who wants to protect his family succeeds. And that is what it is. This whole film preys on this insecurity we all have that by doing things wrong, we will eventually be punished. And it's even more scary to think that the things that we're doing quote unquote wrong are things that we all innately do as humans. We all want to be famous. I'm sorry, it's just a fact. We all want fame and glory. I want glory. I don't necessarily want to be famous. Not fame in terms of like current modern fame, but you want to be famous within your friends. You want recognition. You want recognition. You want people to know who you are because you did something good. So please subscribe to the podcast and uh, sign up to the Patreon. (laughs) Sign up to the Patreon and listen to us (laughs) fucking talk for two hours. Make us famous and pay us for it.
But you know what I mean? That is inherently something we all want. And yet these guys fucking die for it. We all want to get naked and have sex and fucking jump in the sea and be teenagers. Oh, if you do that, the shark will get you. Do you want money? Do you want to be a success? Do that, the shark will get you. And that plays into our deepest insecurities, which is that we will eventually be punished for the things that we just do as humans. And that is fucking terrifying. Whether you like it or not, I don't care. I know some of you are listening thinking, oh, I'm not fucking Christian. Neither am I, baby. I was brought up fucking eating hummus and praying to people you've never fucking heard of. But I'm still scared <laughs> that my sins yeah. will catch up to me. I am. Yeah. I swear on my life. I was christened into the White Eagle camp. That is a true fucking story. I was christened into something called the White Eagle camp. I was christened Star Ray. That's how fucking alternative my religious upbringing was. My mum went into school and told the primary school that I was never allowed to be near a vicar and that I was never allowed to go to religious assemblies. She was looking out for you for the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's doing you a favour there, mate. She knew what was up with the vicars. She was looking out for me. Totally. I'm going to get deep on you right now. I have probably one of the most liberal upbringings in that respect you could ever imagine. And yet, when I was a kid on Omegle, like we all were as teenagers, scrolling through looking for titties, and when I saw titties, which I did, I'm willing to say it, when I was about 14, my first sexual encounter was with another girl. I can't believe we've had Willy time with Seb during Movie Monsters. (laughs) During Jaws. (laughs) My first sexual experience ever was when I was about 14 with a girl who was a bit older than me on webcams. And I should have been happy. It's what every 14 year old wants. But I felt sick. I was so anxious afterwards because you'd be told that you have sinned, that you've done something wrong. We're all told that having sex and these things is a bit guilty and naughty and you shouldn't tell anyone and that insecurity is played on by jaws the film and by the shark that will punish you it'll punish you for having sexy web time it'll punish you for swimming in the sea naked and it'll punish you for wanting to be famous and that is scary yeah and that is why i think holistically as a whole package jaws is the ultimate movie monster and if that doesn't get you what i will say is this That package of a soundtrack, a concept, an execution, and the general way it peels into your deepest insecurities without you noticing, that fucked everyone up so much that I know people now in the UK who won't swim in the sea. Why? There is nothing in the British Ocean other than fucking rocks that will hurt you. Certainly a great white shark's not going to come and just munch you. And this is the thing. One of those people that I know who is scared of sharks is your girlfriend, Michael, or your fiancé, I should say. Yeah, she's terrified. She, I've never seen her swim in the sea, and we've, we're, we're due to be married. We have a kid together. We've been together for a long time. I've never seen her go in the ocean. For no good reason other than she's watched Jaws. Yeah, like, she won't go in, like, Dawlish Warren because she's watched Jaws and, like, She's like, oh, yeah, but you don't know there's not a shark. I'm like, yeah, there's not. She's like, you don't know there's not a shark. I'm like, well... Exactly, and that is incredible. It's so irrational, and it is, it is incredible. I actually found something really interesting the other day. Basically, for, like, the entirety of human history, nobody really cared about sharks. We kind of knew they existed, and they were like, yeah, you know, it would suck if you got eaten by one, but it's never going to happen because they very, very rarely ever come to shore. But it wasn't until literally Jaws came out, like the book, the novel Jaws came out and then the movie, I think a couple years later, where people were like, holy fuck, sharks are scary. And it's actually been in the cultural zeitgeist ever since. Like before then, no one gave a shit about sharks, but Jaws made everyone give a shit about sharks. It trained an entire generation of people to be afraid of the water. It's like being scared of lions and living in Devon. I was about to literally say that. It's like being scared of lions. There's no point. Swimming in like Sidmouth. No reason to be scared of sharks. Exactly. Only if you're in their natural habitat, which is not it. It's culturally not something we think about. And yet, because of Jaws, we all are fucking scared of sharks. Even in places where there are lots of sharks, people don't get eaten by sharks that much. Great white sharks live really long way out, really fucking deep. Like, they don't want you. You are a small snack for a great white shark. The only times they attack people is normally by accident because they think you're a seal. It's so, so, so rare. And yet people are probably more scared of sharks than they are of drink driving. Oh, definitely. I reckon sharks are up there with the biggest fears. I think it probably goes like spiders, snakes, sharks. Like, I don't want to call out your partner, right? So I'll just say like... <laughs> Actually, you know what? I will. I reckon Jen, Jen wouldn't go in the sea in Sidmouth. No. But I reckon if I had two pints and asked if she wanted a lift home, she'd probably get in the car. 
And that is fucking ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? That's pretty fucked. But that is what Jaws did. That is why it's the greatest movie monster of all time. Because like Vinny said, until it came out, no one gave a fuck about sharks. People aren't scared of Godzilla. People won't not go to Tokyo because they're scared they're going to be squashed by Godzilla. <laughs> well, I've never been to Tokyo. And I'm terrified of that happening to me if I ever went. I'm fucking terrified of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Jaws is my pick. Because it's permeated generations of people who've never even fucking seen jaws and they're still scared of sharks oh that's true yeah the kids of the parents that saw jaws they'll be terrified of sharks having never seen the film it's absurd and that's why jaws is the greatest movie monster of all time in my opinion jaws made sharks cool you know nowadays we have shark week oh shark week people literally didn't give a shit about sharks until like the 60s there was a guy called like turdies or poopies or whatever from jackass got his hand bitten off by a shark really it's one of those ones where, like, the consequences are actually not that high. They were like, oh, we're going to fucking put my dick in a cage with a snake. You're not actually going to die. But clearly, things just exacerbate and exacerbate to the point where they're chumming the water full of raw meat. There's a swarm of sharks, and they made this guy try and jump over it on a jet ski. He didn't make the jump fell in and was literally mauled almost to death by sharks immediately but his hand is fucked can't move his hand back or forward or move his fingers in and he wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for fucking jaws (laughs) yeah because they wouldn't have jumped sharks yeah they wouldn't have chummed the water and thrown a guy in with a bunch of sharks but that's my pick for the goat that's why i think jaws is the goat i mean he's a shark not a goat but fair enough Damn, that's what I have to toss it up against. That's a weird one because goat movie monster, obviously I thought of Godzilla as well. But I hadn't thought of Jaws at all. Like I said, I had a few things written down which we didn't ra- manage to get round to, but I had a few other monsters like King Kong and um, Gremlins. And- but I had, I had this list like King Kong versus Predator and stuff. <laughs> at the bottom, I just had a, a King Kong-sized Sauron versus a Sauron-sized King Kong. <laughs> which, for those of you who haven't worked out, is a fairly average-sized gorilla versus a necromancer the size of a tower block. <laughs> He's just Sauron the size of a fucking building. (laughs) Just a regular ass gorilla. (laughs) But, like, Jaws just didn't appear on my versus list. Like, I didn't have, like, a Godzilla sized Jaws versus, like, a Jaws sized Godzilla or anything (laughs) like that, you know? (laughs) Oh, God. So, he was never, like, really in the conversation, but. Well, he is now. And I think he's the goat. It's a really hard one because on one hand you've got Godzilla, you've got King of the Monsters. He's clearly the goat in a lot of aspects. He's the goat kaiju. He would probably have most in a fight. Like, he'd obviously he'd have Jaws in a fight. Like, you know, it's no contest. He's going to smash Jaws to pieces. And on the other hand, you've got Jaws. I think as a physical being, he loses to Godzilla. He's, he's you know... I mean, a, a guy with a shotgun wins against Jaws, to be honest. like Exactly. But Jaws as a monster, the enormity of the impact that Jaws the monster has had is monstrous on the people of the world. It's huge, like we said. People are more scared of sharks than basically anything else in the world. All the things that they should be scared of, drink driving, driving in general, like, you know, walking to the shops is more dangerous than sharks. But people aren't scared of all these things. They're terrified of sharks. And that's the toss-up, really. I kind of disappointed myself. I don't want to do it. I don't want to let him down. I don't want to let the big man down. I'm just going to give a PS to this decision as well afterwards. So I think the greatest movie monster of all time is Jaws. Unfortunately. Just because of that impact of, like, all the people. Because I want Godzilla to win. I do. I really want Godzilla to win. I think Godzilla's cooler. I think Godzilla would smash him in a fight. I think Godzilla had more iconic moments. The thumbs up. The double kick. But he's just not as scary. Like you said, Seb, you sort of won it when you said no one is not going to Tokyo because of fear of Godzilla. No one's having therapy because of an irrational fear of a 150-foot atomic breath-breathing fucking Godzilla, you know what I mean? But everybody is terrified of sharks, and that's the monster in society that Jaws created, and that has to win Goat Movie Monster. Thank you very much. Godzilla is still king of the monsters, okay? Never debate that. He's the king of the monsters. He's just not the Goat Movie Monster. Well, I appreciate it.
I didn't think I was winning that one because I know you're a big old fucking nerd for Godzilla. Yeah, like I said, I'm kind of disappointed, to be honest, Seb. I'm kind of annoyed at you now. That's how I felt when I crowned your stupid Barcelona team as the best team in the world because I knew it was true, but I wanted to pick the educated answer. Yeah, that's the thing. I I know it's true, but I I wanted to say Godzilla, but I can't. On this podcast, we've established it. This is week 14 or whatever it is. We are definitive. We are objective. What we say is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, wicked. I don't have any shout outs or anything. Shout outs to you, the listener, for making it through. Well, shout out to the listeners because things are going well. I mean, we, we obviously recall these a couple of weeks after they release. We're now just seeing the response from an episode that we uploaded a few weeks ago that we had our first guest on, Amy. And the response to that episode has been fucking great. Like, honestly, guys, thank you so much. Um, we have had a lot of traction on that episode. A lot more than we were anticipating. We've got a lot of new subscribers. We've got a lot of new followers on Instagram and everything else. So if you are new to this, go back and listen to episode one. Listen all the way through. Tell your friends. We really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting the show keep it up we're gonna keep making them so yeah cheers guys but other than that i think next week we're getting into a little bit more movie nonsense oh yeah seb me and you we're gonna be discussing the goat stuntman indeed yeah i'm looking forward to that one i don't know anything about stuntman other than what evil evil can evil does he count as a stuntman yeah he wasn't movies though was he he was just a regular stuntman yeah that's a funny one actually but yeah you could pick him i mean i'll be hosting so i await your answers can't wait for them wicked here we go well that's it that's all for me unless you guys got anything else to say nothing for me nah i'm all good boys catch you later bye bye love you bye love you bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.